the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, August 18, 2022. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. That's 602-508-0960. A lot to do with you today. There's some great guests. We're going to talk about the state of the family and how it impacts education with Brad Wilcox, the uh, head of the... um, Head of uh, Family Studies at the University of Virginia. We'll have the great Alan Dershowitz joining us. He has a brand new book out on uh, cancel culture and how it has affected him. We'll do some giveaways to uh, to our event uh, coming up here uh, later this month with Larry with excuse me Larry Elder who will be joining us um, in Phoenix for uh, the debut and premiere of his new movie Uncle Tom Two. But let me start here. This is how you lose a culture. Uh, the Czech novelist Milan Kundera put it this way. The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history. Then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. And before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. The world around it will forget even faster, he said. This is why I routinely say the most important statistic in America is that 50%, half of our high school seniors graduate with an F in American history. Consider that. About 3.5 million high school graduates every year, 1.75 million 17- and 18-year-olds are sent into society knowing nothing of this country. Consider that. Just at the age of a person's first vote, just at the age to go off to college, just at the age to join the military, just at the age to enter the workforce as an adult, and you are an alien in your own country, a country you simply do not know. And you can vote and work and be considered the right age to join up and defend that country in uniform. Again, a country you don't know. Now, extrapolate those 1.75 million American aliens or citizen aliens to America over a generation, 30 years, and you see where you go or what you get. In a book titled The Abolition of Man, a title that should be remembered and thought deeply about, The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis writes that, quote, for every one pupil who needs to be guarded from a weak excess of sensibility, there are three who need to be awakened from the slumber of cold vulgarity. The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. The right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate just sentiments. By starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. Mark that point well, too. To teach a child poorly or for a student to be miseducated is to make him all the easier the prey for the propagandist, all the easier the prey for propaganda. Enter again Professor K- 
Kundera's warning. The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history, and before long the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. How else do you think we end up with a suffused notion around here that America is systemically racist and it all results from our institutionalized racism ab initio from our beginning to the present, a legacy we never overcame? No great historian until about the 1970s ever taught that because no great historian ever believed that. And they never believed that because they never thought that. And maybe there simply have been no great historians since the 1970s, really. Your Henry Steele Commagers, your Arthur Schlesingers, your Daniel Borstens, your Samuel Eliot Morrisons, all FDR liberals. They never taught that crap because they never thought it was true or dawned on them. And to this list, yeah, sure, you could add David McCullum as well. We lost him last week. But beginning about 1980, with Howard Zinn in his book, A People's History of the United States, a new industry of self-flagellation for socialism took hold, which would be about the same year 1960s radicals would have been joining the age to take on tenure track and other late 20s academic and journalistic responsibilities and careers. We started with Zinn and A People's History. And we ended with the 1619 project and curricula that goes even further by vaingloriously actually changing the date of our founding, thus to burn into amber even further that our parturition was not delivered in the hospital of freedom and equality, but in the back alley and backwater of slavery and inequality. Steve Hayward today flags an essay by a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. It's hard to compete for being the most left-wing campus in America, what with Pitzer and Evergreen State and Berkeley and Harvard and so many more, but you, uh, U- University of Wisconsin-Madison was always in that vanguard of the top 10 most port side. The professor there, a good lefty for now, though he's trying to be canceled and may become a liberal rec- as a result, the professor there questions journalism as scholarship when it comes to American history, particularly the 19, excuse me, particularly the 1619 project, which was invented and edited by a journalist, someone with a bachelor's degree in communications and a master's degree in journalism. Nicole Hannah-Jones has no doctorate and no degrees in history, American or any other and yet has foisted upon us the greatest revisionist history project in not just our lifetimes, but in memory. This liberal left professor at Wisconsin pretty much just couldn't take it anymore. And he wrote the following, quote, Whether or not historians believe that there is anything new in the New York Times project created by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the 1619 Project is a best-selling book that sits at the center of current controversies, for how to teach American history. As journalism, the project is powerful and effective. But is it history? Yet, as, historian, as a historian 
of Africa and the African diaspora, this professor writes, I'm troubled by the historical erasures and narrow politics that these narratives convey. If history is only those stories from the past that confirm current political positions, all manner of political hacks can claim historical expertise. History is not a heuristic tool for the articulation of an ideal, imagined future. Rather, it is a way to study the messy, uneven process of change over time. When we foreshorten or shape history to justify rather than inform contemporary political positions, we not only undermine the discipline, but threaten its very integrity. Close quote. Let me repeat that last part. When we foreshorten or shape history to justify contemporary political positions rather than use history to put our current conditions in context, we undermine both history and integrity. That is a massive call, folks, from a liberal professor of history at a liberal college. It's a blaring siren. But here's the important thing. When we call this out, as this professor did, Professor Sweet is his name, we will attemptedly be canceled. We will be pushed to make a forced confession of apology, and we will be labeled as those who want to censor either true history or minority contributions or voices to it. Those last two things are projection. They are the censors. That's what cancellation of debate or critique is all about. And they are the distorters of history, as any serious examination of these propagandistic projects will and does indeed reveal. Enter now the new ethic of our time where the open society embraces the tactics of the closed society. What do I mean by that? We have traditionally been known as an open society here. Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of information act. Hang it all out there. Examine the government. Distrust the government. Make the government prove its truth against a citizen. Never make a citizen prove his truth or innocence against a government. A closed society was the phrase we used to use for places like communist China and the Soviet Union and Cuba, places with no freedom of speech or press unless the definition of freedom is the Marxist definition of freedom, which is never ever about individual rights, but rather group rights. So as the Marxist literature and websites will show, freedom of speech exists in Marxism. You bet it does. If it is speech and only if it is speech that furthers the Marxist, excuse me, that furthers the Marxist dialectic or doctrine. There is no freedom of speech for, say, freedom. There is freedom of speech for the group Marxists care about for the ideology Marxists want to oppose, namely the proletarian groups that support the regime's outcome, but there is no freedom to dissent about that outcome, only the freedom to assent, which is not freedom, and which is why what we call forced confession, Marxists call freedom or justification or support for the cause by a comrade who merely needs enlightening or re-education. And sometimes that requires a camp or a gulag or a psychiatrist or a mental institute, literally, which is why the Soviet Union was known for creating a condition called the abuse of psychiatry, 
the use of mental institutes for political purposes. You don't support the cause. You don't support the revolution. You don't support Marxism. You must be mentally ill. There must be something wrong with your brain. You must have a condition. It is an odd thing for an open society to accept and impose upon itself the practices of a closed society. But, of course, that is what must be done if you are going to re-educate a society or retrain it, or as Kundera put it, liquidate it. And that is why it all starts with history and language. From there, as Marx would put it, you move on to the second building block of any society, family. And once you succeed in dismantling the family, as Marx puts the need to do right there in Chapter 2 of his Communist Manifesto, you can go on to nature. And to do that, you, of course, start with sex. All of it you must start with, of course, children. And soon enough, you've recreated the world or convinced yourselves that you can and have. And ta-da, you are as God or a God. What power to be able to change human nature, civil institutions in history? Closed societies can do that. Open ones cannot. And the doors are closing. We might think of the moment with the eloquence of Abraham Lincoln on another imprisoned person's case. Think of yourself as being on a campus or in a newsroom or a boardroom opposed to all this. Lincoln said, all the powers of Earth seem rapidly combining against you. Mammon is after you. Ambition follows and philosophy follows. And the theology of the day is fast joining the cry. They have us in their prison house. They have searched our persons and left no prying instrument with us. One after another, they have closed the heavy iron doors upon us. And now they have us, as it were, bolted in with a lock of a hundred keys, which can never be unlocked without the concurrence of every key, the keys in the hands of a hundred different men, and they scattered to a hundred different and distant places, and they stand musing as to what invention in all the dominions of mind and matter can be produced to make the impossibility of our escape more complete than it is. It's Abraham Lincoln. Folks, the doors are closing. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I, 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 you know, other people have talked about it, and I'm often loath to do what other people have talked about, uh, but I'm also reminded often that not everyone listens to everything else and other things that I may listen to or that a lot of other people... Anyway, you get the point, and sometimes stories are just... Too important to uh, not also give more air to. Michael Hayden, you familiar with him? He's the former CIA director, former CIA director under George W. Bush. Michael Hayden, supposedly a Republican. On Wednesday, yesterday, a British journalist wrote that Republicans were more nihilistic and dangerous than extremist groups and dictatorships around the world. The Financial Times columnist, the British columnist Edward Luce, tweeted, I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world over my career. I have never come across a political force more nihilistic, 
dangerous and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. This man uh, doesn't deserve to be a journalist. This man loose. Nothing close. Today's Republicans are more nihilistic and dangerous than violent ideologies around the world. Violent ideologies like communism or Nazism or jihadism. It, it's, 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 it's literally not possible. But now enter Michael Hayden, who tweeted, I agree. And I was the CIA director. I kind of chuckled at the last part. I was the CIA director. This man obviously needs to remind you he was important. But the idea that a former CIA director of whatever political party, the idea that he would say he agrees, that there's nothing close to the danger that Republicans pose compared to extremism, and violent ideologies around the world? Well, let's just narrow the world a little bit, shall we? I guess American Republicans don't operate in the rest of the world. So Michael Hayden must be talking about, and this Mr. Luce must be talking about in America. Well, what's the violence that they could possibly be talking about that has been committed by Republicans. If you want to talk about hate crimes, if you want to talk about hate crimes, do you know how many hate crimes are committed in America against particular groups? I mean, I don't know the parties because they don't break it down that way. I don't. I do, but if you just wanted to, to guess that maybe the hate crimes are committed by apolitical people. Maybe they're committed by 50-50 Republican-identifying people or Democrat-identifying people, although probably it's neither. What is the manifestation of violence? Do you realize that there are more anti-white hate crimes in America than there are anti-Latino hate crimes in America, according to the FBI? And how many anti-black hate crimes, which always leads the list here, are there in America? Too many, obviously, but the numbers are between usually 1,500 and 3,000 a year. Hate crimes, not even deaths, just hate crimes, people targeted because of their race. Somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 a year. In 2020, the number was 2,871 against hate crimes. Now, for the sake of argument, Mr. Hayden, let's assume all of them were Republicans. I'm guessing none of them were, but maybe some of them were. But let's just give him the sake of argument and say all of them were. All of them. That's more dangerous than what's going on in Afghanistan right now? That's what's more dangerous than what's going on in Syria or Lebanon or Gaza or Xinjiang province in China or Cuba or Venezuela? You know, you reminded us you were the CIA director. I think what you reminded us is you had no business ever being such. This is a man who used drones to kill enemies of the United States. He is now saying Republicans are worse than those enemies. What would he do to us? Think about that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Your dollar buys less today than a month ago. You know that. 
paper money continues to be worth less and less. You're as aware of it as I am every time you go shopping. The good news is that precious metals, particularly gold, traditionally holds their, hold their value when economies fail, like now. You don't have confidence in this government. I don't either. So why would you put your full faith and credit in them right now and what they're doing to the dollar? Real money has real worth. Gold has real worth. It is real money. If you're interested in diversifying your investments and protecting your future, I recommend you call the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I own precious metals from the Midas Gold Group. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you already do. More of you can. Just give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, if you just want to discuss the potential and possibilities of owning precious metals. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. You know, the fact that Michael Hayden who was the head of the CIA when we were fighting in Afghanistan, can say that there are no greater dangers in the ideologies of the world that threaten the world more than the Republican Party in America. It's perhaps the wrong man to be saying that about the wrong administration to come from, but perhaps also the wrong week to be saying that. The wrong week. Why do I say that? Are, we're, we're, ju- we're just going to commemorate it and move on from the fact that we turned Afghanistan over to the Taliban. You know what the Taliban does? You tell me if this is anything resembling the Republican Party to you. Just think about it. Critical food shortages, of course, acute hunger because of a terrible economy. But how about the welcoming in? of Islamic terrorists to work side by side with the Taliban? How about the fact that it was hospitable to Ayman al-Zawahiri, who has the blood of tens of thousands of people on his hands, most of them Muslim, but several thousand of them also American? Or what about the steady uptick in forced marriages and sex slavery, as reported by Politico, not Fox News, Politico, or LGBTQ members forced to flee the country because if they don't, they face electrocution and other torture, including murder, including murder. And of course, the return to the retrograde state that women are forced into, including not being able to go to school all over again. This is this is the ongoing that is happening. That is being reported on. That is what Joe Biden handed back to the world. That is transpiring right now. This would have been the week to talk about it. And the former CIA director says Republicans are worse than all that. This ongoing marginalization of tying conservatives or Republicans to the most invidious organizations and ideologies in the world and world history, quite frankly, because that's what the British author Luce said that Michael Hayden was agreeing with. To tie us to that is a deliberate effort. It is a deliberate effort. You know, they're looking at an election coming up in about, what, 80 or so days, 80 to 90 days from now coming up. And they're looking to be themselves thrown out of power. 
themselves put out of positions of influence. Their last grasp to retain anything is to not only raise the rhetoric to a level that is hysterical, but the same thing they tried to do the last time we won a major or massive election, which is to say discount it before it even takes office. Put it in disrepute even after it wins an election. Make it illegitimate the way they did Donald Trump before he was even sworn in. Not my president, illegitimate president, not showing up to the inaugural riots in Washington, D.C. on the day of Donald Trump's inaugural. All of that took place before Donald Trump entered the Oval Office to marginalize him and to put him out to pasture and illegitimize him or delegitimize him before he could even take power. That's what this effort is about. They know what the stakes are this November. They know they're losing them. So their best effort is to put in the minds of the American people and the journalists that we are the Taliban, indeed worse than the Taliban. Just think about someone saying that today and then having their own confirmation hearing if they were ever suggested to be in power again. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As you may have heard here or on other shows, Larry Elder has a new movie coming out, Uncle Tom 2, a sequel to, obviously, Uncle Tom, which was a beautiful Beautiful movie. I mean, I watched it so many times. Anyway, he's coming to Phoenix to do a premiere for Uncle Tom 2 on August 24th. He'll be joined by Brandon Tatum. We'll screen the movie and then they'll take Q&A on the movie or anything that's on your mind. And I imagine there is a lot on your mind. You can get information and tickets about the Uncle Tom 2 premiere August 24th by going to our website, 960thepatriot.com. That's 960thepatriot.com. And uh, we'll give away a pair of tickets right now as well, a pair of free tickets uh, to caller number uh, three. Uh, the reason I never say want to say caller number one, by the way, you know why? I don't want people to rush, you know, if they're driving. I don't want them to say, oh, I have to be caller number one. But any event, if you are caller number three at 602-508-0960, we are delighted to give you two free tickets. Thanks to uh, Gene here in our promotions department, who's given us a bunch of tickets to give away. Not a bunch, but some anyway. August 24th, Uncle Tom 2, third caller. <laughs> I love seeing that. I love seeing that board do that. It's so fun. Uh, uh, caller number three will get a pair. And if uh, if you are uh, trying to call, uh, you can... Um, yeah, we have our winner. So, yeah, if you if you're if the phone is ringing or you're trying to call in, we got our caller number three. So um, you can still buy tickets at 960thepatriot.com uh, or uh, stay tuned uh, over the next uh, couple of shows. We'll be giving we'll be doing some more giveaways. Uh, this is a story that, um, you know, good and evil in the world, good and bad. How do you know who to support? How do you know what the right regime is? It shouldn't be hard. Irving Crystal. Uh, once said that foreign who actually never wrote it's interesting he was the founder of the neoconservative movement and he never wrote a thing on foreign policy uh, the neoconservative critique the critique of neoconservatism 
uh, having to do with foreign policy, uh, was never part of the original neoconservative uh, idea or movement. Um, it transmorphed into that much later through Irving's son and others. Um, it was originally a domestic policy uh, pro, uh, domestic policy um, ethic. And, um, and anyway, when he was once asked about foreign policy and why he didn't write Irving Crystal, why he didn't write much about foreign policy, he said foreign policy is easy. All you have to do is have a good moral sense. Just know the difference between good and bad. Well, once upon a time, we thought that was easy, too, didn't we? During a press conference in Berlin on Tuesday, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas refused to apologize for the Palestinian terrorists who took hostage and then killed 11 Israeli athletes at the 1972 Munich Olympics. Instead, on German soil, he was in Germany, where the Holocaust, of course, was orchestrated, Abbas said this, if we want to go over the past, go ahead. I have 50 Holocausts that Israel committed. The first point to note here, according to, uh, who is this, ja J Jackson Richmond over at the Washington Examiner, the first point to note here is that Israel's very existence is the opposite, the antithesis of the Holocaust. Israel was founded so that the rallying cry of never again would become a reality. Israel has been a refuge for Jews who feel they don't belong or are persecuted in their home country. 800,000 Jews, you should know, when Israel was founded in 1948, 800,000 Jews fled. Not Germany, not the Soviet Union. They fled Arab states. Yes, there were Jews that lived in Arab states, places like Iraq, places like Syria. They fled them. 800,000 fled for Israel because they wanted a refuge where they weren't second-class citizens subject to slaughter. The Jewish state even helps non-Jews, such as Syrians persecuted by Bashar Assad's genocide against his own people. Second, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. It welcomes people of all backgrounds. Arabs even serve in the Israeli government. Think about that next time someone calls Israel an apartheid state. Arabs serve in the Israeli government. Think about that. Despite Abbas repeating that anti-Semitic accusation that Israel is an apartheid state. Israel obviously, is not a perfect country. It's not a utopia, nor is it exempt from criticism. However, there is a difference between criticism and simple demonization. Again, the point bears reminding. Very little, if anything, ever compares to the Holocaust. Nothing compares to the Jews who were forced to wear stars of David in European countries. Nothing compares to the businesses and synagogues that were burnt down to the ground. Nothing compares to the Jews who were sent to ghettos and then to concentration camps and then to death camps. Nothing compares to the wiping out of one-third of the population in Jewish Europe, the six million Jews who were killed in those camps, including one million Jews taken at Auschwitz alone. Holocaust denial is something that Abbas likes to parrot. Shouldn't be no surprise. 
He has a Ph.D. in it, literally has a Ph.D. in it, a dissertation on Holocaust denial. He, um, he writes in his book, which is based on his dissertation, Abbas does, quote, We find that Zionists believe in the purity of the Jewish race, as Hitler believed in the purity of the Aryan race. Zionism calls to find a fundamental final solution to the Jewish question in Europe by immigration to Palestine. Do you know how little fact that's based on? Do you know how little fact? Anyone who's even heard of Rod Carew or Sammy Davis Jr. or, for that matter, Ivanka Trump or any number of people knows that anyone, if they want to, can become Jewish. Anyone can. Anyone. And they are as Jewish as an Orthodox rabbi. As Jewish as an Orthodox rabbi once they convert. The idea of the purity of the race. Who rescued Africans in Ethiopia and brought them to Israel? All of them black. Israel obviously did because there are such black Jews. What is he talking about? Zionists believe in the purity of the Jewish race as Hitler believed in the purity of the Aryan race. He's talking about as much sense as Michael Hayden is when he says Republicans are a greater danger than political Islamic terrorism. Good and evil, it's not hard to figure out. Really, it isn't. But it is easy to distort. I can give you an entire party that's done that. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. If you are interested in a really unique investment opportunity, a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, run by really good people who are doing very well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that as well. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855 855- 316-3087. Brad Wilcox, professor at the University of Virginia, is going to join us at the top of the next hour on a new study he just completed on uh, how stronger families, uh, more intact families, lead to better student, better educational performance. It is perhaps the demonstration through social science of a lot which many people would normally just find conventional wisdom. But the truth of the matter is, is it's not conventional wisdom anymore. And this is something that matters too, especially in an ethos where there is so much targeting the family, including quote-unquote civil rights organizations that are in the business of and wanting to quote-unquote disrupt the notion of the Western family. But if you want to improve things like suspensions and expulsions, if you want to improve things like children having to repeat grades, if you want to improve things like um, a student's ability 
to complete their homework or schoolwork. If you want to improve things having to do with classroom behavior, there is a massive, a major statistical difference. Major. I mean, I'm talking by like even 45, 46, 47, nearly 50 percent in some cases between students who come from intact families versus students who come from non-intact families. This isn't, of course, to cast aspersions or blame on the great and hard work that single-parent families uh, go through, but we all know it's harder. It's harder on a lot of levels. And this is why I have said, Bill Bennett, a few other education reformers have said, if you want to improve education, there's a lot of ways to do it. Of course, teacher quality is one. But give me better families as well. Give me better families and other civic institutions. Give me better churches. Give me better synagogues. Give me better families, and we'll give you a better country. It's not rocket science, but we've achieved an age. We've reached the point in an age where you have to treat it like it is rocket science and do the analysis because there are efforts and movements and theologies that want to tell you it's bunk, and it's not. It's demonstrable. It's demonstrably true. Brad Wilcox will join us in a moment. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 